Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light fans. Welcome to another show. As always, I am your host, Alex, and I am back at it with you in another fantastic episode on the Book of Revelation. We concluded last week uh, with the eighth chapter, wrapped up the whole eighth chapter. Today, we're going to move through nine and ten. That's a lot of ground to cover, so I'm not going to um, drag my feet as long, I hope, here in the intro of the show, but we've got a lot to cover. We're going to look at um, the uh, uh, fifth angel blowing his trumpet, and we're going to talk about this bottomless pit, and then we're going to move into uh, 10 with the angel and the little scroll, and we're going to move all the way through 10. They're not real long chapters. Um, there's 11 verses in chapter 10 and, uh, 21 verses here in nine. So 30, 32 verses that we're going to cover today, not a ton of stuff in terms of reading, but a lot happening. And therefore we're going to talk about this. So we've got this demonic horde, the locusts of torment, the devil's horsemen, peace of Christ and the sovereign redeemer's word the certain fulfillment of God's word, the commission to proclaim God's word and this quote, I am sending you. So that's all going to come at your way in today's show. Again, as we have, you know, talked about previously on this show that if you have not listened to the previous episodes, I urge you strongly to go back and do so because there is so much material. There is a lot um, of, uh, commentary going on there's just there's a lot happening and in the prior episodes uh so it would be tough for you to just jump in this without any sort of context without any sort of you know listening because you you kind of would be like well i'm really lost and none of this makes sense and you would probably be quickly um you know 
just disappointed. So what I would recommend is if this is the first episode of Undying Light you are listening to, if it's the literally the first, welcome to the show and thanks for finding us. But I would recommend you go back to August of last year uh, and, and find our intro to eschatology show. Listen to that and then go through the whole series in one fell swoop because we're towards the end of the series and we're almost to the halfway point in the book of revelation so we are really just we see the light at the end of the tunnel and so i would recommend if you have not listened to any of these in the uh, eschatology series go back and listen to that one if you haven't listened to any of the book of revelation series go back to the beginning of the end which is the first episode we did on this show Another really cool announcement uh, and kind of a milestone really for Undying Light. Uh, This is episode 148. That means uh, next week will be 149 and then we will have our 150th episode coming up. Now, that's a pretty substantial milestone, I think, for any show um, on a weekly basis. We've done quite a bit where we've had our, you know, Tuesday shows that we kind of run on specials from time to time. Um, we've done various <clears throat> dual shows when Paul and I were doing them. We were doing two shows a week for a lot of, a lot of weeks. Uh, so since 2019 is when we launched this, I think somewhere around February or March of that year. So we're just over two years old. We have produced a, almost 150 episodes and the show is not slowing down anytime soon. In fact, we're looking at this show on top of doing another uh, kind of a small segment type show um, down the road. So potentially this summer. So keep your eyes open for that. It will be kind of interesting to see if that actually picks up traction and gets uh, some listens. But we're going to we're going to. I'm taking a different approach. It's going to be kind of made for a very specific niche of people. Um, Cause when I sleep, I tend to uh, have to listen to some music or a book or, or something of that nature. And I figure why not listen to scripture being read? And I think I could probably put myself to sleep by just talking to myself. So I'm going to record uh, myself reading through uh, the whole Bible so I, I don't know where we're going to start. I don't know if it's going to be in Genesis or in the New Testament or if we're going to just, you know, kind of do books at a time. I've got a couple people actually interested in coming alongside and reading some of the books with us. So we might have a few guest appearances from people to do books. And um, so that'll be kind of uh, kind of fun to, to see how that rolls out. So, like I said, very specific niche, um, but it'll be kind of a neat way to just read through scripture. So uh, we'll, we'll make sure we have all the pronunciations down. We'll make sure because if you haven't listened to this show before, I usually record it live and without with with as few of errors as possible. But uh, some of the names um, are, are not my specialty. And we poke fun of that in the uh, Undying Light Patreon and the Bible Dingers Patreon group. So we will make sure we have all of our pronunciations down pat and we will uh, make sure we take our time and read through this deliberately. And, uh, you know, so it'll be a very tediously recorded show. So that's coming hopefully this summer. I'm going to do a couple of trial runs here at the end of this month and see how it works. And then we'll go from there. So 
with that in mind, those two shows fall under, you know, this show and that will fall under the Undying Light Ministries, which again is all uh, user supported, listener supported. You know, I record this on video and I do a little Q&A beforehand. And so as I was kind of talking, I had made this notion to the, to my Patreons that it's because of them that I still do this show. And, you know, when Paul and I split is, you know, um, as, un- mis- you know as unfortunate as that incident was, I could have just easily shut the show down. You know, we could have just closed up shop and said, oh, okay, you know, we're done. Paul can go do his thing. I'm just going to leave social media. I was really ready to leave social media, but because we had a Patreon group and, you know, I decided that these individuals were here for the ride. We lost a couple, uh, sadly, but, um, you know, we've gained a lot and, you know, we've had a lot of people come alongside this ministry and as, as a count of today, we're at 53 and, uh, of our goal of 75, when we hit 75, I'm going to do a commentary giveaway. So, you know, it's not about coming in and, and picking a tier uh, on Patreon. T- Patreon is very big on tiers like, oh, if you give more money, you can get more benefits or perks or rewards, if you would, for the show that you support. None of that. If you come alongside Undying Light, it's literally for a dollar a month. That's all you have to give. And you'll get access to everything because I really the only thing I'm selling you is my time. And so you'll get a ton of perks. It's all listed in that particular tier. Uh, it's all laid out for you um and and more are coming because we do commentaries video q a's bible studies early access to the show the the listeners today will have it uh, a couple days early they'll get my sermon notes um whenever i have those written usually three or four days ahead of time and then the really cool thing is is that i get unique input from the patreons with those like people will be like man i really like this section maybe expound it a little bit more or maybe uh, touch on this a little bit heavier or, Hey, this is a good suggestion that would fall right in line with what you're preaching on this Sunday. And so, you know, I take a lot of that into consideration. And so again, it's not about, you know, paying, you know, five or 10 or $15 for a particular tier. It's joining a community and doing so for the lowest amount of money, a dollar a month. And you can get so many benefits by coming alongside this ministry and joining us. So I would pray that you prayerfully consider joining us. And I hope to expand this family. Um, you know, we get about 4,000 people listening to our shows every month. And so I hope that as we grow this community, uh, the show grows and we can do this kind of content more frequently and we can come up with different uh, topics and have, you know, just continue to grow and get more people on the show in terms of, you know, guest appearances and we can do sponsors and all that kind of thing. Obviously all within the realm of being God honoring and biblical, uh, biblically rooted. Cause that's obviously the premise to our show is that we take a look at scripture and we talk about it because there are so many people out there that are topical podcasts and they look at topics and then they use that as their lens to look at scripture. What we're doing is looking at scripture to then talk about what, how can we interpret this? What topics do we see arise out of this? So we take it from kind of a a different view than some of these other topical podcasts. Like they'll be like, today we're going to be talking about predestination, which if you didn't follow, if you don't follow my page on Instagram, that was a hot topic last night on a post that somebody decides that they're going to come alongside 
uh, the, the page and then basically try to argue me saying that they don't believe in predestination because the God that they worship wouldn't send people to hell. There's your dramatic pause because like, it makes me want to pull my hair out. Like, seriously, how could you read through scripture and not get that picture? So, you know, instead of, you know, coming on and talking about predestination today, we're going to go right to the book of Revelation. And we're going to talk about that. Obviously, we know we're in the middle of the eschatology series and things like that. So that's kind of, again, how we structure this show. And we could potentially do topical um you know, messages or series and stuff like that in the future. Um, but it's not anything that's on my close radar. So, and those shows are well and great. You know, they, they can really cover a broad range and, you know, we get into, you know, I get into topical discussions all the time in seminary, so they're not bad, but we, I just take my approach differently as we look at scripture. And instead, like I said, instead of looking at it from a topical perspective, I go to scripture and then look at it, up, you know, kind of shining upwards. So anyways, I probably just uh, threw a couple of grenades at people and uh, that's all well and good. I'm, I'm good at that lately. So if you're new to Undying Light, welcome. And uh, I hope uh, the shrapnel didn't uh, get all over you because again, um, there's a lot of people that will agree with me and a lot of people that probably won't on various things. And that is perfectly okay. Case in point, our topic discussion that one of the Bible dingers, uh, Patreons threw out at me this morning was let's talk about infant baptism. And so I did a 25 minute spiel before my recording of the show, uh, that they get to watch on, on video here on that particular topic. Um, one that we'll probably talk about in a summer series that we're, I'm trying to put together, um, getting a few people on as guests onto the show. And I'm just working on getting scheduling and things like that in order so we can get those shows recorded. And then we can do um, kind of a short uh, couple week series on that. So I've got two people left to get a hold of and uh, maybe three if I can't get it worked, if I can get it worked out well enough. And then we're going to go from there. So guys, again, just me babbling on here, but there's a lot coming down the chute this summer for Undying Light. And, you know, really is is a future for the show. I, I really want this show to continue growing and, um, and, and really just to take off. And so if you listen, please share it on social media. If you, uh, whatever platform you're on, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you, your, your cup of tea is, Share it with your church, share it with your family, your friends, your, you know, whoever you can, because that's how we grow this. If you have the ability to subscribe and leave reviews on whatever platform you listen to us on, please do that. That would be a substantial help to this show. So as we get into the content, as I said, we're going to look at chapters nine and 10 today. We've got a lot of material to unpack and uh, so let's get into the show now. So last week we left off with um, the four trumpet blasts um, in chapter eight. Uh, we talked about the silence in heaven and uh, we looked at the, the golden censer um, and we talked about that, uh, those four trumpets happening. We looked at how how does that kind of stack out in terms of time and do, do those, do these trumpets come alongside the seals and the bulls? Are they separate 
instances are they you know do we have this kind of like one instant after another of just catastrophic movements happening at the end of days or are these just this kind of similar things happening or you know or do they happen uh right alongside do they happen you know together and that they're just continuously catastrophic events happening here so you know if we were you know i think i had a really good example at the end of last week's episode at how these trumpets could be interpreted a little differently and could actually spell out more destructive means than you know taking it from a literal perspective and we talked about how that could actually have a longer impact on the church of christ here than just a one-time instance at the end of the world so here we go here we are at chapter nine verse one let's read this um these these first few verses here and then what's uh let's start unpacking where we're at because we've got again a lot to get to so beginning verse one and the fifth angel blew his trumpet and i saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit uh and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft then the smoke came and the locusts on earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions on earth they were told not to harm the grass or the earth or the green or any green plant or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of god on their foreheads they were allowed to torment them for five months but not kill them and they and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone and in those days, people would seek death and not find it. They will, they will long to die, but death will flee from them. Oh, my goodness. So we have two major things happening here in these first six verses. But I kind of want to set this up. I think this was a really interesting kind of view uh, of Scripture here. And I got it in my notes for us today. <clears throat> Anybody ever watch the movie National Treasure with Nicolas Cage? I'm going to tell you, I love national treasure one and two i think they're fantastic movies i know they're far-fetched and really probably uh nowhere near being even potentially true but absolutely great movies and and i love those types of like uh suspense you know treasure seeking type movies i think they're just wonderful and uh you know interestingly enough i think disney did an uh, did a good job with these movies so in in this movie in the first one, excuse me, uh, Benjamin Gates, who is played by Nicolas Cage, uh, has to decipher this map that has been entrusted with to his family. And it's not really a map. It's it's kind of this secret. And so through this secret, he he tries to go basically treasure hunting and he goes around the world um, trying to find these little pieces to find this treasure hidden in America. So he goes to a few places outside of America and then he comes back to America and the rest of the um, story unfolds uh, around Boston, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. And so he uses these ocular devices at one point in the movie. And what happens when he puts these on is there's different colored lenses and they overlay themselves on top of 
each other to create different perspectives of the uh, of what you're looking at so he's got this map in front of him and he's got you know okay he puts these glasses on and now he sees clear you know they're just clear then he puts over these blue lenses and they highlight something on the map and then he puts over red lenses on top of the blue and something else pops up and and so on and so forth there's like three i think it's red blue and green and he does this to get different perspectives of this map and and i think that kind of an interesting um description here and again i you know we have to be very close with uh, be or very careful with how we address scripture and how you know what kind of comparison do we have but when we get to the book of revelation i think this really kind of plays out well for us because the book of revelation uh could be really viewed with these types of glasses that there's just so much going on that you could look at this book through various lenses and get and essentially come to the same conclusion. Now, we've talked in prior episodes and all throughout the series on these four major views, right? The dispensational and historical premillennialist, the postmillennialist, and the revealed eschatology or amillennialist perspective. All four of these have various views on the book of Revelation. And it just depends on what color of the lens you're flipping down. I think that's kind of a neat analogy. Again, I have to be very careful when making set analogies because we want to give um, the right perspective to the glory of God here and what John is writing to us in the book of Revelation. However, there are four views that roll out of this book and, and many more, really. So it just pays to try to kind of summarize this up. And so we, we get into um, these, these chapters with the, the seals breaking, the trumpet blasting, the bulls being poured out. I mean, just utter chaos ensuing on earth. And when we, when we look at that, it, I think, you know, the glasses would be an interesting analogy that we can potentially kind of flip through these a little bit and get a different perspective. And I don't think that's bad at all. So as we turn to Revelation 9, the fifth and sixth trumpet reveal horrors that just will fill you with dismay. The fifth trumpet summons an army of demonic locusts that could inhabit a science fiction movie about space aliens. I mean, think about that. I mean, these things are just frightening. These aren't just your standard locusts. Now, obviously, if you've watched the Left Behind, well, I don't think they ever got this far in those in those books. Uh, but in the books, if you've read the Left Behind books, they actually are like little soldier uh, locusts, and they've got you know like armor and stuff. They're like really descriptive and are really kind of creepy. But what we get here is. Uh, <clears throat> Then from the smoke came locusts on earth. They were given power like that of the power of scorpions. They are told not to harm. Um, now, again, I didn't get into um, the, the next few verses for various reasons, but let's look at these verses because this is where the, the left behind takes these as literal and will um, literally give us this description of these locusts. So, uh, now, remember, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago the word like and how much power the word like has. This isn't a 
description. Now, we go all the way back to Revelation 1 when we talked about the appearance of Jesus being like something. It's not a literal interpretation, but it's a descriptive manner for us to understand the horror that's behind this in, in these verses here in chapter 9. And in the case of Revelation 1, for Jesus to have feet like, you know, bronze or eyes like fire just signifies the, you know, the context to what we were reading. We talked more in depth then. So we have to be very careful with the interpretation of being literal when we have this word in here. So verse seven starts in the appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. Now, I'm just going to pause there. I'm frightened to the core. Just this one verse would make these things look just absolutely diabolical. I mean, these are space alien things. I mean, this is just out of this world, crazy scary. If this was a literal interpretation. Now, we'll try to break some of this down here for us as we get into it, but wow. I mean, seriously, what is John seeing in this moment to write that this is what these things looked like? <laughs> lion's teeth. Have you ever seen a lion's teeth? I mean, they're not like, they're not daggers, but they're big and they're sharp and they will tear you to pieces. <laughs> so let's get on to verse eight here. Uh, I'm sorry, verse nine. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and their no and their and the noise of their wings were like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails with stings like scorpions. So that's a reference back to um, earlier portion here in chapter nine. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit his name in hebrew is abandoned uh, and in the greek his name is apollyon so we have this angel from the pit who kind of lords over these locusts and we have this ridiculously descriptive picture of what these things look like so right off the bat we have this demonic horde and let's try to unpack this so we uh, can sleep at night tonight, kids. In order to understand the message of this chapter, we must first come to grips with this bizarre image. All through our studies thus far on the book of Revelation, we've understood its apocalyptic visions as presenting reality through symbolic pictures. Therefore, unless we are constrained to interpret a number or image in a literal way, we seek to do so in a symbolic meaning. Our great resource to interpret the visions in the same resource available to John and its original readers, the Old Testament, moreover, the visions should be expected to have relevance to the original recipients, the Christians in the churches of Asia and the Roman Empire at the end of the first century. So context, audience, and an understanding of how this text plays out is crucial to walking ourselves through this book. And we've said that from the very beginning, that we will try to take things as a, as more symbolic when we can. Now, there are points where we will take literal uh, numbers or images 
and apply those. But when we have, especially this particular text from nine, uh, from seven all the way down till 11 with these descriptions that paint us a picture, but they're not giving us that the imagery is the exact refer- uh, reference or we're not seeing that, um, you know, really descriptive, uh, um, you know, tone, we should be very careful with how we interpret these. So we're going to talk about a couple examples here. Uh, There are dedicated Christians who teach that the Bible must always be interpreted as speaking literally. And in this, as I mentioned, um, the book, uh, the Left Behind series, again, if you guys have read those, great. I've read them all. Um, I would say if you have not read them, they're an entertaining read. And, and I think even if you don't hold to the extreme dispensationalist position, um, it, it would be, it would be still a fun read for you to partic- to, to grab a particular view of eschatology because you'll get a very different perspective. Uh, so when this principle is applied to Revelation 9, this literal interpretation here, uh, it produces some results that are just not helpful. They really create massive problems. So one example is Hal Lindsey, uh, who wrote the book Apocalyptic, Apocalypse Code. And he, in this book, informs us that our fifth uh, trumpet that we just read is actually just attack helicopters. Not locusts, but attack helicopters. Uh, and these will be deployed in our time by the Chinese army. Now, how he arrives at this conclusion uh, by taking the details of John's vision and seeking correspondence with some features of our current world, even though this meaning could have no significance on John's original readers and does not obviously fulfill the stated intention of the text, has really, again, some of these people, especially modern writers who look back at this text, will take it into a, a, a literal interpretation and then try to apply it to modern terms, uh, removes the original intentions for scripture. And really, they just cause all sorts of, of theological problems by doing so. Uh, obviously, we know that the Chinese are not referenced anywhere in scripture. We know that there's no such thing as helicopters in first century Judaism or anywhere, at least in that matter, for a very long time. So it, it it's hard for us to try and take a modern interpretation and shove that into the text. Um, and, and I think it really pays a disservice to scripture. So, you know, let's, let's look at a couple uh, other pieces here. So, when, when I had mentioned that we use the Old Testament to try and interpret modern uh, text here in the New Testament, by modern I mean you know the New Testament, when we try to use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament, when we try to look back and say, okay, where have we seen this before? How did this apply and what were the views of that particular text then? How can we understand it uh, as John's writing? So the locusts, obviously, we can look back to the early chapters in the book of Exodus and see this as one of the plagues that visits Egypt. Uh, Such locust infestations left vegetation stripped bare and people are famished. And uh, the scorpions of the earth essentially are just a, a, a 
semblance, if you would, of some satanic power. So they are just in the in of themselves demonic from the get go. I know a couple of people. Uh, we were chatting in one of the Bible Dingers Patreon groups about scorpions. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm glad I don't live in the desert and I don't need to deal with that stuff. I'm. It's bad enough I got spiders and snakes where I'm at. I don't need to add scorpions to that too. So, so we we have this imagery, um, right? If we were to take a, a literal interpretation of this text and say, well, you know, these they, they could literally be scorpions running around looking like little humans with lion's teeth and they have breastplates of iron. And when they, when they fly, it sounds like chariots or, you know, and I think what, uh, uh, let me grab his name really quick here from my previous notes. Um, Hal Lindsay, I really just kind of lost that out of my mind. My apologies. What, you know, his interpretation here is the chariots with horses running, you know, Obviously, we don't have chariots running around today. And so how would we, if we were sitting here and expecting the end of times, obviously, Hal Lindsey is a dispensationalist. How would we understand this text in today's standard? Um, would it be a fleet of tanks? Would it be, you know, uh, a group of jets flying over, you know, but he goes to attack helicopters and, and, and rightly so. I think you could, if you have that sort of position, you could interpret that and and again i i just see text as not being in that manner because we are given descriptive terms here we're not getting literal imagery john is saying that these things were like um horses prepared for battle they were like human faces like women's hair like the lion's teeth and so these aren't literal interpretations but we must be careful with how we interpret this text all right so let's look here as we kind of continue picking our way through this text i I know i'm kind of jumping back and forth here between these early verses and then 7 through 11 because i think it helps us to kind of paint this picture for you we look back at verse uh four they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Uh, They were told, so this agent, uh, so through the agent of this verb is not given. It is understood to be from the Lord. Uh, This is an example of divine passive, a literary, literary device employed at many points in scripture. So as they're told, uh, creation here is spared, right? We've got not to harm any, grass or green plants or any tree um, but the godless are the ones that are effectively targeted and we we have that this is the the direction that these locusts are to be taken so they're not out to consume the vegetation as they were in the book of exodus where they were to strip all of the lands of vegetation to cause uh, a, a small famine um for the people in Egypt, but these are these particular locusts are told to only effectively target godless people. And uh, and so then we have this kind of little notch here at the end of verse four, um, not to touch the people uh, who have the seal of God in their forehead. So there's a differentiation here in the text that, you know, preserves the godly from this particular plague. Now, this is a very difficult text because could this trumpet blast 
be interpreted entirely literal that locusts will come upon the earth and, and target just the godless people. Uh, well, absolutely. There could be this sort of, um, uh, you know, plague that would hit the people, only those who are godless. Um, but, it, you know, we have kind of a couple of things here that we should really kind of pay attention to um, as we unpack this. Now, you know, we, we have to be very careful um, to get through all of this, right? You know, in terms of a time period and, and what we've really tried to uh, refrain from painting is do these things happen you know, right alongside each other. Are they over the span of history or do they happen at the end of times before the clouds would shatter? It's it's hard, it's really hard to kind of pan this out for you. And again, my job is not to give you a time frame. My time, my job is not to paint for you a picture of when all of this stuff will happen because that's obviously would be making me a false teacher. So I'm simply reading the text and looking at, how could we interpret some of these events from actually happening? Have they already happened? Are they continuously happen or do they still need to happen? And this, I think, would probably fall into the category of still needs to happen. Now, let's finish reading chapter nine and then we'll continue working ourselves through the notes here. Uh, starting in verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river of Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was tw- twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, uh, the color of fire of sa- and sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. But these three plagues, a number, a third of mankind were was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming from their mouths for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails and uh, for their tails were like the serpents with heads and by the means of them, they wound the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works uh, for their hands were not given uh, uh, were not given up worshiping demons and the idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see nor hear nor walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, uh, or their thefts. So we conclude here with two more woes. Um, So it looks like, you know, John's writing here that this particular portion here in chapter 9, there's three woes that hit, and uh, the first are these locusts, the second, um, and the the next woe here looks to be these uh, angels being released, and we're going to get into that here in a minute. Uh, essentially called the devil's horsemen, but, uh, and we will conclude here. So let's continue on. I, I, I wanted to give us some more context here at verse uh, chapter nine, but let's continue looking at these locusts. I know we're, this episode is probably going to be incredibly long as we're already hitting on that 40 minute mark here in a minute. 
but again, I want to make sure we do the due diligence. We keep these, the series within the time frame that we have allotted and, uh, we give you guys, uh, as much depth to this as possible. So I think there's some more to explain here on these locusts. So let's just wrap this up and we'll move on. Uh, the vision of the fifth trumpet begins with the fallen from heaven to earth, right? So we talked about that and I wanted to make sure that we knew that there were a few other aspects to talking about the beginning of chapter nine. So we have this fallen from heaven to earth, uh, is given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now in this imagery here in revelation, this star is an angelic being. We have that right. Um, here verses uh, verse 11, uh, they have a king over them, an angel uh, of the bottom bottomless pit. And uh, so some scholars suggest this as being a holy angel serving God since chapter 20, an angel comes down from heaven to lock the abyss with a great chain. So chapter nine depicts a different situation since the angel was quote unquote fallen to earth. Jesus once said, I saw an angel fall like lightning from heaven as he is uh, saying in Luke 10 verse 18. Now in the vision that we're going to jump down in a couple of weeks in revelation 12, this great dragon, 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 Satan is thrown down to earth. So it seems most likely that this angel fallen from heaven is a demonic archangel. Uh, he's granted authority by God to open the great abyss of hell. And as we see in verse 11, John tells us that the demonic host that comes forth is led by the angel of the bottomless pit. And in uh, Greek, his name is Apollyon. Uh, both of these names mean destroyer, which shows his evil servanthood to Satan. If he is not Satan himself, then this, uh, as well as a result of this activity, the name Apollyon derives from the same verb uh, as the Greek god Apollo. Apollo, since the Roman emperor Domitian uh, is considered himself as the incarnation of Apollo, John might be trying to try the imperial persecution facing the churches of Asia to the tormenting plague unleashed by this trumpet. So, again, we we get to try and understand the original context, and I think that pays us to really see are these things happening literally or is john just trying to equate what's happening around him in the world at this time period as he is recording these writings so unlike literal locusts however these spiritual invaders are designed not to uh, harm the grass or any green plant or any tree but only those who do not have the seal of god on their forehead so there's other interpretations to these. These particular locusts don't have to be a physical locust. It could be a lot of different things. It, these could literally, these locusts could literally just be ungodly people. And, you know, we could interpret this in, in, in a manner of many different things here um, because we, we see how Satan's hordes are essentially unleashed upon the earth. It, and if you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at how mankind treats mankind. And, you know, but again, we can counter that here because that particular view with this idea that we as Christians are still persecuted, but we have to understand what this actually means to harm those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. Is it actual spiritual harm? 
Is it eternal harm? Because those don't come to Christians from any source outside of God. Physical harm, we are promised in Scripture that we will experience suffering and persecution. And we we know that the early church experienced heavy persecution. And John's experiencing persecution. So we would, you know, again, we, we have to be very careful with how we interpret this. So, um, but in of itself, we see how if we were to say that these locusts in of themselves, quote unquote, would potentially just be ungodly people. Um, these could be, you know, people who just don't believe in God and who, you know, worship their own idols as kind of 20 here versus 20 and 21 wrap up for themselves for us that these individuals still do not repent, even though these plagues are coming upon them. You know, we can look at abortion and uh, any of these social justice, you know, uh, movements that would go forward into the world. Uh, they bring great harm to the ungodly. And uh, yet they continue to be unrepentant of their sin. So here's kind of an interesting perspective in terms of this vision. What demonic influences would we identify in the culture of America and the post-Christian West? Surely sexual promiscuity is a source of great evil, destroying marriages and families through adultery and robbing young men and women of the purity designed for them by God. Pornography uh, should be seen as a spiritual evil that fills the hearts of men with sexual filth and violence. Racism has left its scourge across our country, sowing needless hatred and bitterness. Drugs and alcohol abuse, uh, abuse devastate the lives of millions. And notice that these are obviously destructive influences, yet most of them are zealously protected and even encouraged in our society. Behind the secular humanism, materialism, and self-absorbed hedonism are evil powers afflicting great portions of our population with spiritual torment and emotional affliction. But notice, too, as we kind of address these topics, they're not going out and harming the earth itself, God's creation, but they're harming the ungodly. Now, a Christian would be able to refrain from these actions and refrain from drug and alcohol abuse. Not to say that we don't fall into these categories because we obviously can and have, but we are rescued out of it. Whereas the ungodly still remain unrepentant at the end of the day. So whether we take these uh, locusts here in chapter nine as being a um, literal interpretation or uh, or a symbolic representation of things that this world will unleash upon itself, you know, I think that just is dependent upon your hermeneutic. If you think that these are real locusts, then we will have to find a time slot for them to fall into the end of times. Jesus doesn't talk about it in uh, Matthew 24 or 25 in refrain in, in referencing to the end of times, but that doesn't mean at some point they couldn't come before the, before the clouds shatter and Christ sends his angels to collect the elect. So they're, they're, there could very well be a timestamp that this may happen. Again, it depends on your hermeneutics. If you're a dispensationalist, you're going to believe in a, you know, the seven year tribulation and all of these events will happen. That kind of coincide with the, uh, you know, bowls and trumpets and, and seals being broken and all of these devastating catastrophes happening on the earth. And then, the, um, you know, Christ will return, yada, yada, yada. 
you know, only reason I say yada, yada, yada is because we've talked about this in, in depth on our dispensationalist episode. So if you want to know more about that, go back and listen to that episode early on in this series. So uh, we're, we're framed here as we wrap up chapter nine with these uh, these four angels and the sixth uh, trumpet blast here. Now, we must understand, again, we have another trumpet blast. We will understand how this will uh, take into consideration and what is the uh, kind of the crux of this, la- of this particular one. So release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. Uh, these four angels are released mounted uh, troops of unimaginable numbers uh, to kill a third of mankind. We've seen that this, these horsemen are spiritual forces. They're set loose on the earth at God's judgment. Uh, this judgment is not only of torment, but of death. Because interestingly enough, remember, the locusts were to kill or were to harm the godless, but not kill them. Again, those could go back to addictions and you know, selfism, materialism. Uh, social justice these things harm people spiritually they harm people can harm people physically mentally but won't actually kill people in of themselves now alcohol and drug abuse can kill people um, if abused long enough but for the most part people can be alcoholics for most of their lives and never really succumb to you know alcohol poisoning things like that people could be drug addicts for a very long period of time and never succumb to, you know, death by drugs. So interesting how we have this dynamic uh, change here where these, uh, these angels are going to be released. They're going to go out and kill a third of mankind. Uh, We've seen that these horsemen are spiritual forces set loose on, uh, on the world at God's command. Their judgment is not only to torment, but, uh, but of death. And we've just covered that. So, the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths are the fumes of hell, which I think points us back to uh, the pit being opened. So a little bit of history here. The Euphrates River is an ideal bound boundary for Israel, as promised by God. Therefore, these horsemen represent invading enemies of the world. In the Old Testament, God had sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians across the Euphrates to bring up judgment into Israel for her idolatry as jeremiah warns a great nation is stirring from the furthest parts of the earth they lay hold on the bow and javelin they are cruel and have no mercy the sound of them is like a roaring sea they ride on horses set in array as men for battles jeremiah 6 22 and 23 state moreover in the time of john's writing the euphrates is a boundary for the roman empire uh, beyond which there were terrifying horsemen of the um, Parthenian Empire before the Emperor Tarjan's victory over the Parthenians in uh, 114 to 116 AD. These enemies uh, stalked the nightmares of those living within Rome's boundaries. It is possible that the description of these horsemen breathing fire out of their mouths and with steam with their tails would remind John's readers of the way the Parthenian horse, horse archers fired both while advancing and while retreating. So skilled horsemen and, uh, you know, again, it's pays, uh, pays us to have understanding of how the context uh, plays into effect here for our 
first century Christians. So the history of mankind uh, shows nations repeatedly turning away from God in order to rise up in their own glory. Uh, Every empire has promised its own salvation on earth with peace and prosperity. Hmm. Sounds just like the United States right now, doesn't it? Uh, Not even going to get into that discussion. History sends uh, history records all of them crashing before invading forces of unseen ferocity. Uh, Usually the, origins of these conquerors are either surprising or unexplainable. Historians struggle to explain the source of the Gothic invasions that destroyed the Roman Empire under mighty leaders such as Ataya the Hun. Centuries later, the hordes of Islam swept across North Africa with virtually no warning. And so on and so forth. So we have a history of nation-ending invasions by unexplained you know, uh, forces that just all of a sudden come out of nowhere. I mean, Islam really became a prominent force uh, early on and really there was nothing that, you know, built up to it. They just kind of, again, came out of nowhere. So we have this imagery being used here so we can see how these angels can represent opposing forces to the world's peace. And um, it can be quite a, uh, uh, unexpected force that rises up so uh so in in studying the chapter nine here we can learn three lessons the first is to become is that is because of idolatry and sin our world is judged by god with spiritual torments and destructions so that's one of the three the second is fearful as these judgments are christians should have no fear of them and third we find At the end of the chapter, the purpose of these judgments is to awaken sinners to their need to repent and return to the Lord through Christ. As John concludes here in chapter 9, the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor gave up worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, which cannot be seen or hear or walk, nor do they repeat uh, repent of their murders or their sorceries or sexual immorality or their thefts? So that concludes uh, chapter nine. Again, tremendous amount of uh, thing events happening in chapter nine. Again, we've just took forty some minutes to go through just those few verses. So we're gonna see what chapter ten brings us here, and hopefully, we'll get you. Uh, on your way with the day here uh, as we wrap up these these uh, 11 verses. So let's read through them real quick and uh, cover chapter 10. John writes, And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he had set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it. And there would be no more delay. But in that, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he had announced to the servants 
uh, to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing in the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and kings and languages. So, we have these this kind of con- connections, maybe if you would, uh, from earlier chapters where we had the seals broken and then they kind of concurrently walked themselves through each seal breaking. Then we had the trumpets blasting and we have all six trumpets blasting, you know, down the line. And then all of a sudden we get this chapter 10 here and um, it's like, okay, what's going on here? Why is there this little scroll and what in the world is happening here? So again, I think this is kind of um, an intermission, if you would, to something greater happening. Now, chapter 11, which we will talk about next week on episode 149, is to the two witnesses. So that's going to be a very interesting episode. I hope that you guys will tune into that one as well. Uh, but we have here kind of this little intermission, if you would, between the sixth uh, trumpet blast and the seventh. And uh, and I think we we kind of get this little break of period. So we in the intermission after the first six seals, John is shown how God has sealed his church for salvation and has delivered her safely out of tribulation. John receives a similar vision in the intermission between the sixth and seventh trumpets. So we have, remember that bro- that break, we had the, the silence in heaven. We have that breaking between the first six seals and the seventh. And now we have another one here. Beginning in Revelation 10, this vision depicts the church as receiving God's word, holding fast to it, and bearing testimony on God's behalf, despite persecution and even martyrdom. Chapter 10 concludes with this command for John to prophesy about many prophets, nations, kings, uh, nations, and languages and kings. John's commission to preach, coupled with chapter 11's vision of the two uh, persecuted witnesses, provides an explanation for the world's judgment. So here's a quote from J. Uh, G.K. Bale. He writes, the wicked suffer because they reject the message of the witnesses and persecute them. According to Revelation 10, Christ's true, true church is defined as having received and treasured God's revealed word. Just as Israel is called to be light of the nations, the church is commissioned to bear testimony to the gospel in a hostile world. So it's very easy to see how this can be, um, you know, like, like I said, it can, can get kind of unusual if we were to just take this, um, you know, a, a, literally without actually trying to understand a greater context to it. So let's kind of look at some of these verses uh, in hopes to help us better understand. So we have another mighty angel. Uh, this angel is described in terms of reminiscence of God's uh, presence among his people during the Exodus. Again, we have another throwback to the Exodus. Uh, again, like I said, we continuously go back to Old Testament text here in the book of Revelation to help us understand uh, these meanings of what we are seeing. And then we have this little in- introduction of this little scroll, and it's already open. So, in contrast to the sealed scroll that we saw back in chapter five, this one is open. 
however, the contents of the scroll is never clearly revealed to us, even though John is commanded to eat the scroll and prophesy its message here at the end of chapter 10. Its actual content really just remains a mystery for us. Um, but we see here, though, early on in chapter 2, or verse 2, my apologies, uh, the right foot in the sea and the left on the land, as this angel standing, uh, the prophecy is of universal significance. So it matters for all people across all parts of the world through all time. And the seven thunders is one of the most powerful sounds in nature. Thunders uh, repeatedly associated with God's voice, as we've witnessed all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And so we kind of have this interesting, um, you know, text here. So let's let's kind of try to break it down a little bit. Um, I don't think it's quite complex. I just find it to be rather interesting. So we have the sovereign redeemer's word as we can look at these texts here. Um, the first reason why Christians must maintain, maintain our witness to Christ and his word is the sovereignty uh, revelation of the redeemer uh, in this message. This is God's word being proclaimed. And that is why we will continue to uh, reveal it and hold fast to it. And we can trust that the fulfillment of this message will hold true. And so chapter 10 begins with this appearing uh, of this mighty Christ-like angel. And this message about God's word is only heightened by the action that follows. John is John hears this angel shout with this lion's roar and answered by seven thundering sounds. So seven thunders, right? They sound out in verse three. Uh, in the Bible, thunder, as I mentioned, signifies um, God's voice or God coming, um, basically his presence as Psalm 29, three states together with power to shatter all opposition with additions, with the addition to the seven thunders and the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And we will get to the seven bulls. Uh, we can only speak more of God's judgment upon the world. And obviously we know that seven represents, you know, the complete and holiness of God. So therefore, the angel, uh, the shout of the angels answered with seven thunderous noises here. But I think it goes again to show as we continue to move ourselves through this particular um, passage that or this really this book, just the, you know, the sovereignty of God's word at how true this has come for us. This is this isn't something that just plays out as a letter to the church where we get some law and gospel in it. We get this book is really well addressed to God's perfection, God's sovereignty, and God's promise of judgment to the world. And, you know, and I think it really shows us to pay very close attention to how the message uh, is interpreted. And, and I think it pays us well to really sit back and ponder these events, because again, as we've really addressed, a lot of these events have been going on uh, since John's writing. And so I can't really go to the measure to say that God is going to um, hold out until a seven year tribulation. And I think people pick this seven year, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of chaos as a means of God being um 
you know, just how do I want to phrase this right? I don't want, I don't, I, I can't see how the book of Revelation frames it, itself out into a seven year tribulation with all these events happening all at one time because it doesn't take much for us to look out into the history of the world and see how these have been played out. So, you know, I think it just pays us to really understand a right distinction of how scripture is uh, written and how can we understand and interpret it. And I think we get this, you know, this, these last few verses in chapter 10, I think pay, pay us really well to pay attention to, um, you know, it's bitter in the stomach, but sweet in the mouth. Uh, the message here. And, and I think this is a, a, a very prophetic message and, and uh, the point is strictly to how scripture is law and gospel. It's the threat and the promise. It's judgment and grace. Thus, as John uh, internalizes the word of God, it is both bitter and sweet. And so, you know, it's it, it, the bitterness is the law, right? It's the threat. It's the judgment. It's what kick us right in the gut. You know, when we hear God's message, it really gut checks you. You are not good enough. You can't do enough good works. You will never love your neighbor enough. You can never love God enough. That really is a gut check for Christians who sit and say, well, I I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. But do you? Do you devote countless hours? And I mean, count, I mean, from time you wake up to the time you go to bed, 365 days a year, do you devote all that time to reading God's word, praying and serving your neighbor continuously without any sort of, um, you know, reward. And do you continue to love your spouse, love your kids, do your work without griping? I mean, just continuously. And the answer is no, because even as a pastor myself, I don't, I, I fail miserably at that. And so God's word is a gut check, but in the mouth, and what we can profess, it's sweet because that's the gospel. It's the promise. It's God's grace to us. And so it's interesting how it feels like it's different, right? Because the gut check is, you know, really the thing that hits and hurts the most for us. But when we can talk about God's word, and and I would even venture to move forward and say that that promise is even sweet as we hear it, because as we speak and hear, we can understand and confirm God's promise to us. And so I want to kind of wrap up today's show with this little piece of text here I got, um, because I think this shows us how God's word will go out and not return empty. It will do its job and we will experience these that we've talked about in these last few episodes, uh, the persecution and the suffering, but we will have God's promise on us. So we might compare John's situation to that of a baseball fan watching the World Series at Yankee Stadium in New York. John is enthralled by the action, which he's determined, uh, which will determine this year's champion. Unexpectedly, in the ninth inning, with a game on the line, the manager goes into the stands and approaches John. John is the one to come out of the stands and pitch the decisive innings. This is the angel's message for the apostle and for all of Christ's people. We are to receive God's word of salvation, which has been purchased by the blood of Christ and ordained by the eternal will of the Father. And we are to proclaim it to the world. Now, interesting how this kind of segues here. This particular Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the ascension at church. And so I'm actually going to be talking about how Christ has built up his apostles and then leaves them. 
Now it's your job. Go out and proclaim the gospel. You have to do this. This commission does not mean that God has set aside his sovereignty or that Christians have replaced God's uh, Christ's lordship over all um, or that or that Christians have replaced Christ's lordship over all affairs. Rather, the point is that God's sovereignty, God's sovereign plan calls for the decisive witness of his message to be given by sinners saved by grace to other sinners needing to be saved by grace, even though we may be persecuted by the very people whom we are seeking to save. John is commissioned to, quote unquote, take the scroll and, quote, prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings, end quote. This mission is therefore the decisive activity taking place during this entire age of the world history. John is to preach judgment for sinners who do not repent and salvation for sinners who are uh, who repent and believe. And we are to do the same, a distinction of long gospel. In this way, Christians will experience victory over spiritual darkness. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. And by the and by the word of the testimony that they are loved, uh, that for they are loved, not their lives even into death. So, I think it pays us again good attention to see how this text comes and shows us that this angel standing here with his one foot in the sea and the other on land, and John is told to take this scroll after the thunders uh, sound off, and he's to eat it. John is given this power to go back into the world and continue to proclaim the gospel. And we see that that is what the early church took up. They were to go into the world and profess the gospel. This is what all the apostles took on themselves when they went into the world and preached to the Jews and the Gentiles. And that is what we are commanded to do today. So our calling is to be witnesses to the gospel for the ingathering of all who believe. We must therefore first receive the gospel as glorified Christ's as a glorified Christ's own word. Second, being assured of its certain fulfillment, we must hold fast to God's word without compromise. Third, we must fulfill the commission to proclaim God's judgment and salvation to many peoples and nations, languages, and kings, knowing that in this way, despite persecution, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So that's it. That's, that's the text. We are to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to all people. As many people as we can, despite facing persecution, despite facing death, despite whatever it is, we are to go forward and take on the world. So that concludes chapter 10. Uh, we did that in you know, about 19 minutes there. So good run on those 11 verses. So again, it wasn't very complex, but, um, but we had to get through this text to stay on track for the uh the overall arch uh arc of this this series here we're trying to do it in 21 episodes uh next week we're going to take a look at all of chapter 11 with the two witnesses and uh and the seventh trumpet blast so we will see how all of that kind of again connects itself back to the seals and potentially sets us up for the bulls which we will get into uh chapter 15 and uh but 14 is going to give us a little interesting segue we'll have the mark of the beast uh which we will hopefully uh trump or get rid of some of this um you know misinterpretation with it and we will try to um break down some of these modern everything's the mark of the beast type fear-mongering that 
everybody wants to push and assert themselves as being knowledgeable over, oh, this chip is the mark of the beast and or this this uh, tattoo or this, you know, one world currency. I mean, it's all dispensationalism anyways. Anyways, so let's go ahead and wrap up today's episode. I've been babbling long enough. I want to get you guys on your way and hopefully you have a great weekend. And next week, as I mentioned, we will be tackling the uh, the two witnesses. So jump in and, and let's get a hold of that topic. Uh, until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Again, if you would uh, just share it. Um, subscribe if you don't so you get uh, reminders when the shows drop every Friday at 7 a.m. and uh, leave us reviews if you've enjoyed this content and uh, let us know how you're doing you can shoot us an email hit me up on uh, Instagram uh, all my content inf- contact information is found in the show notes so we will see you guys next week God bless Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.